Working Together podcast. I'm your host, Stefan Morales, thinker, maker, doer behind Working Together, a burgeoning hub of can-do and know-how, inspired to explore who we are and how we can work together better. I'm fascinated by all the ingredients that you need to really make something happen, to really engage a system and the groups of people within it. And so, on this podcast, you'll hear a lot of stories from folks who've made interesting things happen. Their trials and tribulations, their reflections, their lessons learned, and the actionable advice that they have to share. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I did. In the last episode of the Working Together podcast, I spoke with Professor Dan McCarthy from the Waterloo Institute for Social Innovation and Resilience. And we worked through Francis Wesley's definition of social innovation, explored complex systems thinking. In this episode, part two of our conversation, Dan and I talk about what social innovation and complex systems thinking means for the practitioner. And he gives us an overview of how we can put these ideas into practice. We talk about the different ways that we hold ourselves back from seeing our shadow selves, And lastly, we talk about Indigenous reconciliation within the Canadian context today. There's a lot going on in this conversation with lots of takeaways for your good big work. Whether you're running solo or working from within the system, I hope you enjoy it. does this mean to a practitioner you know them kind of seeing this complex uh system dynamic um perspective on the world mm. and them kind of understanding their role as somebody who can kind of uh you know either try to implement a social innovation or experiment with a social innovation of some sort like what you know what does this mean to the practitioner yeah that's a really good question and that's been one of the biggest challenges and the the challenge that I have um, it's it's one of those those problems those challenges that you that you i suppose love to hate almost it's it's mm-hmm. been the, the the you know the the driving force behind a lot of my work i am not a uh, a theoretician i am not a theory builder i'm uh, i consider myself a, a mentor of mine and, and really a mentor of, of Francis is George Francis talks about uh, a lot of this kind of transdisciplinary work as uh, as people being theory consumers. You bring together ideas and try to make them useful mm-hmm. in different kinds of problem contexts, and that has been my challenge over the last ten years, especially working with Francis on this curriculum and working with all these amazing people that have gone through these various programs. Is how do you make these ideas of complexity and systems thinking useful? to someone who is a change agent. And a lot of it has been distillation. I mean, we have been trying to distill, you know, all of this wonderful and and elegant theoretical superstructure into some ideas, some some pieces that people can walk away with and actually apply. And then, of course, if they're interested, you know, they can, you know, go off and do all the reading they want. But, um, one of the tools that we've we've tried to teach people is to, is is just basic systems mapping. It's rare that people actually have the opportunity um, or the 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 um, 
latitude, the freedom in their work to stop, um, step back from the system and look at it in a slightly different way. Um, and I'm going to read you one of my favorite quotes from Douglas Adams. Um, an SEP, he said, uh, is something that we can't see or don't see. Our brain just doesn't let us see because we think it's somebody else's problem. That's what SEP means, somebody else's problem. <laughs> the, brain, the brain just edits it out. It's like a blind spot. If you look at it directly, you won't see it unless you know precisely what it is. Your only hope is to catch it by surprise out of the corner of your eye. And it's like seeing the gorilla that I mentioned earlier. And these are all from, you know, you know these are, that, that quote and some of the other things are used. These are tools that I, I use all the time. And, and anybody that have, ends up listening to this that's, that's had, you know, me as a prof or uh, in their undergrad or graduate work or, or working in these sort of uh, these programs for mid-career professionals, they will have heard some of these things because these are the kind of nuggets that I've tried to distill down mm-hmm. from, you know, systems thinking and complexity. Um, and and that, that quote by Douglas Adams is so telling. I mean, this is, you know, people kind of snicker at it, um, but it's, you know, people run into this all the time, whether it's a disciplinary thing and they're, they're a biologist or an ecologist or an economist, mm-hmm. You know that that stuff is somebody else's problem. Or if they're working in a government agency, or in a you know, in, and it's, that's outside our mandate, or in a you know, in an NGO, and it's like, well, we've been funded to do this, not yeah. look at that. Um, you know, <laughs> yes, so yes, yeah. One of the basic tools that I tell you know that I try to give people is, okay, for a moment, for a moment while you're here with us in this you know safe place. It is, you know, when we, whatever the SIG diploma program, the Rockefeller uh, Global Fellowship program, or the or the Banff program. Let's let's pretend for a moment that you can actually step back and look at the whole system. And what does that mean when you look at what what is the whole system? And that's where we start to talk about, you know, invoking basic tools of systems like, you know, boundary, and you know, and that can talk about your your spatial boundary, your temporal boundary, even conceptual boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then to play with those, right. And, and you invite the, this idea of, of sort of structured or constructed play, uh, what are the components of the system or, or the variables, how are they interconnected? Right. And to experiment with that and to really think about each one of those things as a hypothesis, right. What do I learn when I use this boundary? What do I learn when I connect these two components or, you know, is this a useful connection? Or if I'm drawing a sort of a causal linkage between two variables, I'm effectively constructing a hypothesis. I'm saying I believe that a change in variable A causes a change in variable B. Well, test out that hypothesis. See what data is available on that, right? Um, and, And you do that for a system, and you then step back from it, and you've probably constructed uh, the system in a way that you've never been able to do before because of your mandate, your discipline, whatever, mm-hmm. right? Um, your funding, your, you know, your boss's view on things, whatever. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, it, it doesn't happen all the time, but for some people, the, you know, pennies drop and they go, oh my God, I never thought about that connection. Mm-hmm. You know, there's all of a sudden an, a whole new sort of realm of possibilities for them. And then, you know, Francis uses this, this uh, um, little conceptual tool, uh, the, the horns of the dilemma. Um, and, uh, and, and that comes from um, Charles and Turner's work. Uh, and 
and this notion of of, of paradox and and oftentimes we we um we construct things in terms of paradoxes we we say you know we we can't do that if we if we do this where there are oftentimes sort of innovation spaces when you sort of reconcile an apparent paradox so i mean i'm just mm-hmm. i'm trying to give you some some of the basic tools that we use either from systems thinking or complexity like systems mapping and playing with boundaries and you know variables and and different kinds of of different kinds of systems mapping like causal flow diagramming and thinking about feedback loops uh, to get people thinking about systems differently, but also other, you know, tools from various social sciences uh, to get people thinking about really thinking about how they think and how they generally construct a problem mm-hmm. and and then to challenge that. And, and what we try to do in these spaces is, like I say, to give them, a, you know, some safe space to 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 play. To, to use some of these tools to think about uh, their problem in a different way, to bound it in a different way, to think about it from a different perspective. Um, and most recently, you know, out in Banff, for instance, uh, the curriculum has evolved from previous iterations because we've incorporated um, outdoor experiential education, um, mm-hmm. uh, depth psychology, Jungian sort of depth psychology. Interesting. Uh, indigenous ways of knowing and being um creative processes uh and and the arts and these are you know different sort of frameworks in some cases in in terms of indigenous ways of knowing really different paradigms different you know philosophical ways of knowing and being um that really challenge the way we ordinarily we think about things and so that has been an, and we've worked with some amazing people out in uh, in at the BAMP Center uh, to to adapt the curriculum and, and really bring it to a whole new level, and it's uh, it's it's been wonderful. So I mean, that's how we try to 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 introduce or to get people to to think about um, system change in a different way by you know distilling down sort of key insights and some key tools from the, the various disciplines that we've all been, been studying or transdisciplinary fields that we've been studying in um, and try to make them useful Interesting. And, and really yeah. to, to give them to people who know these systems better than we ever will um, and, and watch them run with them. Mm. And it's, it's amazing to see what happens when you work with, uh, you know, very bright, motivated people that have, a, you know, uh, experience in a field and really want to change the system they're working in you give them some you know some insights you give them some experiences and 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 watch them go and it's just phenomenal yeah no i i just to kind of i love that term the uh the seps somebody else's problem yeah Yeah. (laughs) seps are everywhere my god that's like it's like a thing that's like air seps you know and it's true it it's probably we we have adam smith maybe to blame for that one a little bit since it's so rooted in the notion of like you know everybody doing their you know their one kind of task their one discipline their one profession and whatnot so i I kind of want division of division of labor exactly management yeah exactly and so I kind of want to turn SEPs on themselves in a funny kind of way in relationship to social innovation. So social innovation to a lot of people is like, oh, that's somebody else's problem in the sense of that is um, something that nonprofits might be interested in. It's just a nonprofit thing. That's what social innovation mm. is, right? 
uh, it may be even a white nonprofit thing, right? Like where a lot of, a lot of white oh, professionals sure. are interested in, hmm, how do I bring about systemic change and blah, blah, blah. But you mentioned these other ways of knowing. Uh, you mentioned Jungian depth psychology as, as part of this and also indigenous ways of knowing as part of kind of the curriculum that you do. What is, what is your work in that space uh, all about and, and how are you bringing that to bear on this question of, you know, implementing social innovations? Yeah, that's, that's, that's fun. That's great. Thanks for the question. So the, the first piece around the, the depth psychology uh, part uh, and, and sort of invoking um, uh, Carl Gustav Jung, Jung's work, um, I, you know, have to thank our colleague from the BAMP Center, uh, Julian Norris, for, for that. Uh, his, uh, his work, uh, both in sort of outdoor experiential education, but also bringing sort of depth psychology to that has, has really enriched the way we think about social innovation. And for me, what it's done is, when I talk about perspective, which I said was such an important piece of sort of looking at complexity or trying to understand complexity, um, in many ways now that, you know, in having worked with, with uh, Julian and then read some uh, Jungian uh, psychology and even, you know, uh, entered into Jungian therapy as part of a learning and, of course, healing experience, um, started to realize that that, that, uh, that kind of perspective really takes the, this notion of perspective that I was talking about hmm. from systems and complexity uh, which was sort of a black box and, and opens up the black box mm. um, because we, you know, we challenge and I've, I have challenged people in, you know, undergraduate, graduate, and then, you know, sort of mid-career professionals to think about the kinds of perspectives they're, they're bringing to bear on a particular problem. And what, what the work that Julian does in particular in, in so well, and that we've been trying to, to, uh, to work with Julian and understand it a little better really opens that up and and brings a richness to it so when we when we ask people then to think about the, the their perspective what we're effectively asking them to do is to um begin to kind of peel layers of an onion and to think about um what it is that they have sort of boxed off in terms of their psyche and and put in their you know their quote-unquote shadow um what is it that they, um, you know, how, what are the conversations that they have with themselves over and over again that they don't even realize that they're having? What are the patterns of behavior that they are manifesting over and over again mm -hmm. without even realizing it uh, because they are so ingrained in their psyche? What are their, what are their um, you know, the kinds of, um, uh, well, again, you know, patterns of behavior, but they can also end up being sort of, you know, really negative psychoses that that result from those kinds of patterns of behavior uh over and over again that either you know emerged sort of pre-development of of the you know the ego in, in Jungian terms when you're very young or or post and then how do you start to uh, once you sort of see that pattern step back from that pattern it's mm. kind of like using systems analysis on your psyche um once you start to see that pattern how do you decouple it how do you how do you you know, peel back that layer of the onion and, and, and start to see those kinds of patterns and then deal with them. 
Um, and yes, some of them can be related to, you know, your, your early childhood and your, you know, your parents, but they can, they can also be, um, uh, patterns of behavior that you have manifested throughout your life. You can manifest what, you know, Jung called different, you know, archetypes. Uh, those are sort of uh, typical patterns of behavior mm. that people manifest. Anyway, it, it has brought, uh, and again, I, I always nod to, to Julian for, for his work on this. It has brought a, a, a real richness and a depth to this notion of perspective that you know we, uh, I bring from complexity. Absolutely, uh, but it's yeah. also opened up all kinds of opportunities for for people that are change makers that have been trying to change a system, but running into all kinds of walls. And unfortunately, some of those walls, they put up. Mm-hmm. And it's not until they start to do all kinds of inner work, which can be quite painful. Yes. And you really have to be ready to engage in that kind of work. Um, but when, when they open up um, that kind of box and they start to do that inner work and that kind of healing really um, that's when uh, all kinds of new opportunities can emerge because sometimes they're holding themselves back absolutely uh, in various yeah. ways um, and and the, I mentioned the healing and that leads into the the, uh, the sort of indigenous ways of knowing and, and dovetails nicely because many of the the elders that I've had the privilege of working with um, really could be in some ways Jungian psychologists uh, without knowing it but just using a you know a different mm. sort of form of of some of the the insights a lot of the work that that I've done um, has has been, sort of looking at the role of in you know indigenous knowledge in environmental policy but also more more pertinent to this conversation in in uh, thinking about social change um and uh, a lot of the elders that i've worked with have really helped me to sort of see some of the biases that i bring um you know without knowing it i always joke about this t-shirt uh that i'm going to have made eventually that says i perpetuate colonial hegemony dot 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 despite my best intentions and uh <laughs> and that has been a real uh again a, an incredibly transformative learning experience you know albeit painful but i i've had some incredibly patient teachers in that regard and uh i you know i'm making fewer mistakes uh i i hope but uh yeah, and that's a whole realm of work that we've been when uh, been doing in the last five or six years for sure, and most recently with uh, a colleague and and, and a grad, actually a graduate of the Banff uh, Social Innovation Residency that I mentioned. Her name is Melanie Goodchild. Uh, she is a an Anishinaabe um, scholar uh, from from Northern Ontario, several communities in 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 Northern Ontario, including in Treaty Three, um, and. Uh, she uh, has, you know, brings a wealth of experience in in uh, some amazing places uh, in terms of uh, um, indigenous governance. She worked for the Anishinaabe Aski Nation in Northern Ontario um, as a sort of a policy analyst, uh, and then she was the and I forget her title, but um, she worked for the Canadian Red Cross in disaster management, and she was essentially the the person that. When the Red Cross was being called into any First Nation community, she was advising on how to do that in a good way. And 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 in some ways, her her project that she brought to uh, to the Banff program was trying to indigenize uh, the Red Cross. 
Hmm. Um, which, you know, is a, is a huge task to sort of indigenize a, any kind of um, mm-hmm. organization, institution. Universities are doing that now uh, as part of the sort of TRC's calls to action. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it's a huge task. Anyway, she's uh, now working with us at the Waterloo Institute for Social Innovation and Resilience, and she's been leading an initiative um around Indigenous-led social innovation and and what that might mean. How do you braid together some of these, um, you know, some of these threads of uh, um, Indigenous ways of knowing and being with these very sort of white concepts and practices of, of social innovation? And how do you do that in a good way um, and uh, in a respectful way? And and that that work that that she's been leading has been incredibly exciting and and also you know very very difficult very challenging mm-hmm. uh, because it really challenges the uh, it it calls for a great deal of humility really I mean it's on you know on on the, the sort of very white academic settler um, side of things to say you know we we have some insights that we've been gleaning and 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 working on around this idea of social innovation. But um, we don't want to do it in a, you know, work with Indigenous communities or, or Indigenous colleagues in a way that is going to impose yet again another, you know, white settler structure uh, on them, even in terms of this idea of social innovation. So how do you how do you do that in a good way? How do you be respectful, responsible, reciprocal um, and, and, and relevant in, in the work that you might do in, in, in those kinds of collaborations. And, and, um, Mulaney has been, been talking about this, uh, development of a, of a, of a think and do tank, which she's calling the Turtle mm-hmm. Island Institute, uh, that would, you know, foster both the sort of the, the, uh, academic, um, uh, push forward the sort of the academic, um, side of you know asking the question what does indigenous social innovation mean what could it look like but then also the practice of it so we've been talking about uh seeking funding for sort of academic uh fellows uh phd students probably predominantly indigenous um that would explore the concept and practice um and uh and hopefully you know, develop the the capacity of uh, indigenous uh, scholarship in that realm, and and so to to push the discourse in that way, but then also on the on the practical side to to you know train uh, cohorts of uh, indigenous and non indigenous change makers in this idea of social innovation, but also doing it in a way in a way that is uh, um, makes indigenous ways of knowing and and being and learning you know much more central and so doing mm-hmm. you know more land-based uh work uh with elders um and again sort of braiding together these these uh ways of knowing and being in, in ways that you know respect both and and maybe blend but not integrate mm-hmm. uh and uh and then offer the opportunity to to do sort of capstone projects where we would actually um, these these fellows uh, would actually intervene in a system, be it um, Indigenous child and family welfare, uh, you know, Indigenous self-governance, um, environmental issues like water quality in First Nation communities. Mm-hmm. Uh, there would be some kind of capstone project which these fellows would actually 
you know, make an intervention in and hopefully make, uh, you know, have some kind of um, purchase or, or traction within the system and hopefully change the system. So to enact the social innovation and, and again, be informed by, by research. So that's, that's some of what we've been playing with uh, most recently. And we've had um, some uh, funding in order to be able to, to explore these ideas from some generous uh, donors, foundations. So that's, that's fantastic. And so important. That work is so important, particularly given the current context of, uh, of kind of where we're, where we're thinking, making and doing from presently, which is in Canada, uh, myself yes. and yourself. Um, and you know, for the global listener out there, uh, there's the truth and reconciliation commissions, um, calls to action, which were issued, I guess, what, four years ago or so, I yeah, think, I guess. Yeah. um, that were calling on, uh, settler society in a sense to begin looking closely at, uh, how reconciliation can be built into our relationships with indigenous people and non-whites in our communities, um, to basically begin to transform, uh, and make friends with each other. I mean, all the, honestly, yeah. that's what reconciliation means, right? Is to, uh, bridge these, um, these terrible histories, uh, in the present, right? We all come from different histories and backgrounds, settler or otherwise, and it's an effort to recognize and reflect on that, uh, in the present moment to befriend each other and to move forward together. So I think it's super important that you guys are looking at that work and i'm really inspired by it one thing that i usually uh do at the end of my interviews is just do kind of a quick rapid round with some questions that um you know get at your influences and your experiences and things like this a little bit so i i think you know i'll i'll skip the one that i usually ask which is um who your mentor is i think it's clear that francis wesley and and james k are are up there. So I think maybe related to that, um, uh, what book has kind of influenced you the most and your approach to the work that you do and why? I mean, I've mentioned a couple that mm-hmm. have been, were influential earlier, obviously, uh, getting to maybe, uh, the upside of down. Um, Oh my God. Again, I'm looking at my bookshelf and there are so many, and I'm, I'm one of these people too, that I, I buy all kinds of books and then, you know, you, you start to read them and get distracted, but, uh, oh man, where to begin? I got um, the same problem as you, by the way, just so many books. Yeah, <laughs> it's terrible. It's awful. Actually, I'm, I'm reading a really good little book right now that I picked up, um, at Algoma university. Um, and it's called seeing the world with Aboriginal eyes, uh, by, uh, Dr. Brian Rice. And it's a nice little, I mean, it's, it's a quite a short little book, but it uh, it's a really nice uh, way of um, uh, helping you know settlers like me to understand um, you know different because he he's he's not trying to pan indigenize uh, he I believe is Donashone, um but he talks about you know and cites different indigenous cultures and stories uh, and helps sort of other people uh, settlers to to understand ways of knowing and being another beautiful book that 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 in that in that realm that has really influenced me was uh 
is uh, Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Kimmerer. I use that. I've read it like four times. I use that in in uh, in the course that I I teach uh, with uh, an, an Anishinaabe elder, Pete Schuler. Um, and uh, it's just uh, a beautiful book by, she's a Potawatomi ethnobotanist. And so mm. in that book, she kind of goes back and forth between, you know, talking about, you know, a, a, you know, an ecosystem from a restoration ecology point of view, and then, you know, brings in traditional Anishinaabe Potawatomi teachings, uh, looking at the same system. It's just, and it's beautifully written and um it's it's amazing um and then you know other other things like i mentioned earlier barriers and bridges and and panarchy uh are sort of and resilience thinking are some of the resilience texts Mm -hmm. that really help to you know they're the they're the backbone of the kind of some of the theoretical superstructure that we use and then you know a book by james k and and david walder taves uh it's called the ecosystem approach um they've been you know, pretty influential. And, and then mm-hmm. one last one, I suppose, as I look at my bookshelf that was really influential in my uh, PhD work is Systemic Intervention by Gerald Midgley. And it's all about sort of critical systems thinking. Hmm. Anyway, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it at that because otherwise we'll just start. <laughs> okay. Well, one, one, last, uh, one last quick question here. Um, uh, but yeah, those, those books are great. I just want to say the Panarchy book. I mean, for me... About seven years ago, I I came across that one, and it just it it was a huge impact on my on my work yeah. and my life. So huge book. Um, but so this other question here, kind of a little unrelated now, uh, more along the lines of your experience. But um, uh, tell me about an important failure that you've had in your work or your life or whatever, and what was the central lesson that you got from that? <laughs> oh man. <laughs> There are so many. Um, <laughs> I could go on and on and on. Uh, oh, where to begin? Uh, you know, some I suppose, and it's not a necessarily a distinct failure, um, but it's a, I suppose a whole series of of failures. And I already alluded to it. And it's uh, being a, you know, a, you know. A, I'm of I'm mostly Irish descent. My ancestors came to Turtle Island in the but most but mostly in the 1840s because of the Irish potato famine, and they took advantage of broken treaty promises and benefited from them. And I still benefit from them. That's sort of a statement of of you know privilege that I often sort of invoke. It's taken me a long time to to kind of get to a point. You know, and again, I've had some incredibly patient teachers where I, I'm starting to understand my own privilege and then my mm. own bias. And uh, just, you know, on, a, on, a, on an almost daily basis, being, being able to work with and having had the privilege of working with many Indigenous colleagues and then some of these incredible knowledge holders and, and elders, um, you know, it's almost daily that you kind of go, oh, my God, I did it again. You know, I I perpetuated colonial hegemony without even realizing it. Um, and I suppose that's sort of a, one of my, you know, ongoing sort of failures. I, I continue to do that. And that, you know, speaks to that process of, you know, digging in your Jungian shadow and, and peeling back those layers, looking mm-hmm. for those patterns of behavior that you didn't realize were there. Um, 
that I think, you know, it speaks to just about every kind of failure in, in my life in some ways. But but in, in particular, the work that I've done with uh, my Indigenous colleagues is, is I, I make those kinds of mistakes all the time. And there's an incredible patience on on, on the other side. Um, people that, uh, that, you know, people that work with me, like, you know, Mulaney, I, I cited earlier, or some of the elders I work with, um, they... But, you know, I suppose what I have learned is is bringing, you know, a humility to yeah, the work yeah. and mm-hmm. to, to say that I'm, you know, I'm going to make mistakes uh, and I, I will, you know, constantly try to learn from them. Um, and, uh, and I'm, you know, here to, to learn and, and to try and be, you know, a, you know, a useful ally or, or accomplice i like that one i <laughs> yeah, one of my good. colleagues said that you know in this in this work of reconciliation so um yeah i i probably there's too many sort of failures to cite but i think that that's a that's sort of a category of, mm-hmm. of failures that uh i'm still working on and i'm grateful to some very patient teachers and it ties in to i think a lot of yeah, like you were saying, a lot of other failures that many of us share, uh, or I think all of us share. It's nobody's nobody's free of this unless unless they've done some sort of um, you know forty day meditation retreat or something like this, and kind of yeah, or, you know, really gone through that process uh, or a process to to work through that. But yeah, there is a lot to our it's, shadow side. It's lifelong, yeah, for sure. Lifelong learning, lifelong healing. So. But the the humility is so key. You can find the resources mentioned during this episode at togetherworking.com slash the Working Together podcast, all one word. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast for more in-depth conversations with innovative thinkers, makers, and doers sure to inspire you and help you make an impact in your world. And don't forget to rate and review so that I can continue to bring you the social innovation goods. Finally, if you'd like to receive the Working Together Review newsletter, where I share interesting finds and actionable insights about teamwork, facilitation skills, social innovation, cooperatives, behavioral economic strategy, political theory, and a whole bunch of other stuff, you can sign up at togetherworking.com. 